Thank you, Dan. Let's take our Bibles this morning. Go to Philippians, if you would. Philippians chapter 1. Philippians 1 in our Bibles today. Have you been enjoying the cooler evenings? Your windows open? A little chilly last night. Maybe you had to reach down to the foot of the bed and pull up that extra blanket. I don't know. Philippians chapter 1 is where we're going to be at. I'm enjoying the variety of weather that we have in Michigan and uh, looking forward to September and all that is planned for that. I hope you are planning to be a part of it and praying toward it. It's good to be together this morning to meet and worship the Lord together, study his word together. Um, My heart's been drawn out to praise the Lord with you. I'm looking forward to being back tonight. Um, this uh, series that I'm preaching on eternal rewards is a series I've never, I've never heard a series preached on it, on that topic before. So I hope you'll be back to join us. Um, you might ask the question, does God care about the sacrifices that you make? Does, are there rewards for doing right in this life? The Bible says there are. The Bible says we can lose them. They can be lost. They can be added to. The Bible tells us how we ought to live in a way that will please the Lord. Tonight we're going to be looking specifically at what kind of rewards God's going to give uh, to his servants. And maybe uh, maybe your, your thought would be, well, I'm not serving God for reward. And that sounds kind of spiritual, except it was God's idea to give rewards. And, uh, and so... It may sound spiritual for us to say, well, I don't, I'm not doing it for anything. I just am doing it. But, uh, but God designed rewards, and he wants us to think about what we're doing and why we're doing what we're doing. And he does care about you and me making right choices and overcoming sin, standing against the world, being salt and light, representing him, living for him. It means a lot to him. So much so that someday every one of us are going to stand before him and he's going to he's going to evaluate how we lived our lives and reward us accordingly. Salvation is by grace. Rewards are according to works. So come back tonight for the rest of that sermon. Okay, Philippians chapter one is where we're at. The Apostle Paul is writing from a prison. He's under house arrest. Uh, As he's under house arrest, his thoughts go back to a time uh, when he was in Philippi and um, he had been serving the Lord there. God had directed him to go there. The Holy Spirit had led him there. And God had used the Apostle Paul to start a church in Philippi. That church included Lydia. You remember the seller of purple? She was a wealthy lady, um, a woman of some authority and influence, and God used the Apostle Paul, and Lydia was a part of that church. Her family would have been a part of that church. Also, the the young girl who had been possessed by an evil spirit, who God had saved, would have been a part of the church at Philippi. And then there was the time while Paul was in Philippi where he was thrown into prison. He was beaten along with Silas, and they were both thrown into prison. And uh, God sent an earthquake, and he shook that prison and opened the doors. And and you remember Paul and Silas that night before the earthquake came, the Bible records in the book of Acts chapter 16, and you can read about that maybe this afternoon, 
you find Paul and Silas there and they're singing praises to God after they had been beaten, while they were in stocks, while they were being mistreated. And uh, they sang praises to God and they prayed. And um, when God sent the earthquake and he loosened their their bonds, the Philippian jailer took out his sword and he was going to kill himself. He was going to take his own life. Um, some historians believe that the jailer would have been in danger of his life being taken for all of the prisoners escaping on his watch. Whatever the case was, he was about to take his own life. And Paul cried out. And he said, sir, do thyself no harm, for we are all here. And that's a miracle in and of itself that the prisoners, the other prisoners didn't go anywhere. But Paul and Silas didn't either. And the Philippian jailer cried out to Paul and Silas. And he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And the answer came back, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house. And the Philippian jailer trusted Christ, Acts 16 records for us, and his family trusted Christ and they were all baptized. And that was the church that Paul was writing to here, the church at at Philippi. It was made up of Lydia. It was made up of the Philippian jailer. It was made up of that young girl who had been released from the of the oppression, the possession of an evil spirit. And there would have been other people who were a part of the church. And so Paul loved this church. And you can you pick we pick up on that as we read through the book of Philippians. Paul has a deep love for this church. This church also had partnered with Paul in for the furtherance of the gospel. They had given to him time and time again. Um They took care of him. They prayed for him. They were concerned for him. And it was these people to whom Paul was writing. And and Paul, as he's thinking about them, I wonder if he was remembering those days when he was there. And as his mind is drawn back to them, he cannot go to them. He begins to write. And look at verse number 9. And I'll read down through verse 11. And I want you to see Paul's love and his prayer for that church. It says in verse 9, he writes, he says, And this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. But I would ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather under the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord waxing confident by my bonds are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Let's pray. Father, I pray now that you would bless your word in our hearts. I pray that we would receive it. I pray that your Holy Spirit would take his sword, and I pray that he would apply it to our hearts how we desperately need it today. And I pray that there would be some in this room who would be greatly encouraged, built up in their faith and strengthened, and others of us in this room, Lord, I pray that we would be convicted. I pray that there would be such great, intense conviction over maybe disobedience and sinfulness that 
today would be the day of revival and turning back to you. I pray for others that do not know you as their father and do not know your son as their savior. Lord, I pray that today they would put their faith and trust in Christ alone. Glorify yourselves in us, I ask, and I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. What, what does God desire for Trinity Baptist Church? Uh, what, what does God desire for you as a lady, uh, one of his daughters, one of his children, a son? What, what does he desire for our children? Um, and as Paul was thinking of the church at Philippi, he was thinking of specific people, the Philippian jailer, maybe his family. He was thinking of Lydia. He was thinking of this young girl, this damsel who had been possessed by an evil spirit. I think Paul's heart would have rejoiced, and he talks about how his heart rejoices in his memory of them. And, and uh, he had led them to the Lord. They were now a part of the family of God, and yet they were living in this wicked world. They were living in that time in history. There were, there were uh, temptations on every side. There were, there were turning away. There were those who were turning away from the truth. And, and Paul's heart, as one who had led them to the Lord, his heart is drawn out with a desire for them. And it wasn't just Paul's desire, but it was the desire that God gave Paul for those people. And it was God's desire for the church at Philippi. And this is God's desire for you, if you're one of his children. It's God's desire for me as a father and as a husband, as a pastor, and it's God's desire for you. So what is it? What was Paul's prayer? What was it as Paul was praying obediently to God while in prison for the church at Philippi? What was Paul's prayer for them? What was God's desire for that church? Well, look at verse number nine. He says, and this I pray, this is what I'm asking for. And that word prayer there. It, it, it's in the mood that Paul prayed for this continually. He didn't just pray one time. This was something Paul was burdened for. And the Spirit of the Lord had led Paul to pray over and over and over and over again for this church. This is something, by the way, that we as parents, we ought to pray for our children, specifically what we're going to see in verse number 9. We have to pray for our families. This is something, by the way, while it is God's will, and it is therefore something that we can attain to, it is also something we can walk away from and turn away from. It's something that a church that can define a church, but it's also something that a church can, can deny and turn away from. And so it's Paul's prayer. He says, in this I pray that your love, and that word love is the word agape, sacrificial love, a love of the will. This is a, a, a determination. I am choosing to love. Okay, I'm choosing to make sacrifices. I'm going to deny myself of certain other things to love this one thing. Uh, in other words, this isn't the love of I feel like it or it feels good. It makes me feel good. It, it meets some needs, some physical needs of my own. No, no, it's not that kind of a love. This is not an entertainment. This is not a, uh, a necessarily a frivolous type of thing. This is the love that, that caused Jesus Christ to go to the cross and suffer separation from his Father 
to save you and me from death and hell forever. That, that's the kind of love he's talking about. He says, and this I pray that, that your love would abound, that it would grow more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. Okay, knowledge, knowledge. Is the Lord telling us here that he just wants our knowledge to grow, you know, heap to ourselves more and more knowledge, read more blogs, tune into more podcasts? Um, is that what he's talking about here? Knowledge, this kind of knowledge specifically is a very precise, accurate knowledge. He's talking about the knowledge of truth. He's talking about knowing the truth. Do you remember Pontius Pilate? Jesus had been betrayed by Judas. And he had been taken before Pontius Pilate. And Pilate asked Jesus, what is truth? What is truth? I think our day today, that question is being asked in our day today. What is truth? There is an attack on truth in our day. There is a... An, an effort, a concerted effort to call things that the Bible calls evil, there's a concerted effort to call them, those things, good and moral. They're actually saying, and they'll name things that the Bible says is immoral, they call them moral. And they call, this is our world in which we're living today, they say, if you believe these things are immoral, you are immoral. So it's almost as if they're saying two plus two does not equal four. You know. And in our world today, there's this, and it's not just nationally within the United States, it's internationally, it's global. There's, a, there's an attack on truth. And the question is being asked, well, what is truth? What is truth? Well, I mean, you might, Mr. Sherwood, you might think certain thing is truth and Pastor Scott, you might think something else is truth, and you might think, so truth is, is uh, relative. It's whatever you think it is. Well, is, that is not what the Bible says. There are laws. There are laws that do not change, like the law of gravity. It doesn't change. Okay, I can step out of the plane without a parachute and say, I don't believe in the law of gravity, but it's still going to prove me wrong. So, what is truth? And Pilate asks that. And so, here as Paul's writing to these believers, some of them young, he's, his fervent prayer, his daily prayer for them, is that they would sacrificially love truth. The knowledge of truth is what he's talking about. This precise, accurate knowledge of truth. And then he says, and in all judgment, I want your love to grow day by day more and more, not only in not knowing, knowing what is truth, knowing the Bible, but in judgment. What's he talking about when he says the word judgment? He's talking about making decisions. He's saying, I want you to know the truth in a day where people don't know what it is. And even sometimes your flesh is leading you against the truth. I want you to know the truth, but I also want you to do the truth. 
I want you to not just have a knowledge of what it is and then make wrong choices. I want you to have a knowledge of the truth, a precise, accurate knowledge of the truth. And I want you to implement that truth in your life. This is very important. It's very basic, very fundamental. And so if I could summarize the end of verse number nine, really verse nine into one simple statement, Paul's prayer for the church at Philippi was this, love truth, love the truth, love truth. And this is what the church needs today. This is what Trinity Baptist needs today. This is what I need today. And I need it each day. Um, I can look back throughout my life and I can see times in my life where I loved the truth. I loved learning. I loved learning more about God from his word, precise, accurate knowledge of the word of God. And I, and I took time for it and I read it. I can remember times in my life where this precise, accurate knowledge of the word of, of God, loving truth. I loved coming under the teaching of the word of God. I loved hearing it. And I was faithful in putting myself under its teaching to hear it. I took opportunities. And I exhort you, take opportunities. Love truth. Put yourself under the word of God in a Sunday school setting. Put yourself under the word of God in a Sunday morning setting. Faithfully. Do it faithfully. Religiously. Take opportunity on a Sunday night. I mean, where else are you going to hear about eternal rewards? Um. Take opportunity. Put yourself under that. Wednesday night, do it. Be faithful in these things. Uh, on a daily basis, in your personal study with the Word of God, we basically give away the feature devotionals. They're an awesome resource for an everyday time where you, as a child of God, take time out of your day and your busy schedule to get alone with God, your Heavenly Father, and seek Him personally. Develop that. Develop that discipline. Develop that habit. Seek the Lord. What are, you, what are you doing? You're choosing to love the truth. Love, sacrificial love. I'm, I'm going to sacrifice some sleep, maybe. I'm going to sacrifice some pleasure or some entertainment. Uh, maybe I'm going to sacrifice finances. Because I'm going to seek the truth of the word of God. It's that valuable to me. But 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 it's more than just this knowledge. It's he says judgment, right? This application of the truth, this implementation of the truth in my life. So when the spirit of God, by his sword, the word of God convicts me in my heart that something is wrong, I obey it. And this again, this that word love comes into play here. And so I say to you, combining it both a knowledge of the truth and also an implementation of the truth or just making right choices, I say to you, Paul's prayer for the church at Philippi was love the truth. Love the truth. And by the way, Jesus taught his disciples that when the Spirit of Christ would come, the Holy Spirit would come, that he would lead them into all truth. And when we live in a day, we live in a day where there is... There's so much access to information, isn't there? So much access to information. Some of you in this room, you're sports fans. And I mean, like, you're on every, you have sports apps, you know, on your phone. And 
and you check on all your favorite teams and all your favorite players and you know exactly what's going on. And I enjoy athletics. I enjoy sports. Uh, some of us, some of us are overwhelmed with the news cycle and no longer is it at 5 p.m. or 6 p.m. or 7 p.m. You remember the, uh, was it MacArthur and Lehrer News Hour on PBS? N- Neil? McNeil and Lehrer News Hour, right? You remember that? How many of you remember that? Come on, I'm not that old. All right. All right, wasn't that old. It was boring. I remember that. As a teenager, it was boring. But, um, but you, you know, you had to watch, you had to tune in you know, at that time. And there was, that was it. Or you could get the USA Today to read what was happening in the world. But now, I mean, there's not enough time in our lives to keep up with the news cycle, is there? I mean, we do not have enough. You, you, could, you could quit your job and live in a hole somewhere and just keep, you just got to keep your phone. You just, you, could, you can't take it all in. And uh, we have more information, but what is happening? You know, what is the FBI doing in South Florida, what is what is what is former President Trump doing? What is President Biden doing? And this is just in that sphere. What are the Ukrainians doing? What are the Russians doing? What are the Chinese doing? Right, on and on it can go. And you can research, you can you can read, you can watch, you can listen. And my question to you would be, what is the truth? And I think we need to find the truth. But that starts right here with the Word of God and the Spirit of God in each one of us who Christ promised would lead us to all truth. And Paul's prayer to the church at Philippi was, love the truth, church of Philippi. Don't get so caught up in what's happening, what's being said. Love the truth. Now he tells us why we ought to love the truth. And I want to give you these three thoughts from the passage. Why should we love truth? And I notice, first of all, in verse number 10, we ought to love the truth because a love for truth, he tells us, produces clarity in our lives. Clarity. Look at verse number 10. Verse 9, he says, love truth. Verse 10, he says, tells us why. That ye may approve things that are excellent. The word approve means to know. That ye may approve things that are excellent. So a love for truth produces clarity. Clarity is knowing, is being able to see clearly, right? It's knowing what is right. It's been said that life is choices. Choices have consequences, so make the right choices. But have you ever been in the point in your life where you're not sure exactly what the right choice is? Have you ever been in a situation where should you buy it or should you not? Have you ever bought something and wish you hadn't? You're like, that was not a good purchase, right? Um, We need clarity in our lives, to make right choices, to make the best choices without, uh, uh, with, with the decisions that we have, the, the resources we have. I can remember as a, a young man, I was 16 or 17 years old, I had an old uh, Chevrolet pickup truck. It was uh, made in 1979. It was just rear-wheel drive. Somebody had put a Corvette engine in it, it had a 350 in it. Now, when I, when I got it with my parents, the front clip on the truck had been painted, uh, had been painted red, like candy apple red. But they were in the process of rebuilding the truck, so the doors were uh, uh, different. They were two-tone black and gray, and the bed was orange. That was the only thing original on the truck. It was orange, and it had large, large, large rust spots all over it. And I loved it, man. I thought it was cool. It had dual exhaust. 
350. And, uh, you know, you get her rolling and then you just go right to the floor. Somebody had put carpet in it. So you really had to mash on it to get the back two barrels to open up on the carburetor. And then it roared and it smelled. There were no catalytic converters. No one was stealing catalytic converters off of my truck, Pastor Scott. I mean, and it, it was loud. I loved it. I put I put chrome rims on it and it kind of sat down in the front with the weight of the engine, kind of sat up in the back. And I thought it was really cool. Um, it had a chrome vented glove box. I mean, it was just, I thought it was awesome. Um, in fact, my dad, my dad told me, he said, Seth, if you'll sing in the choir for one year, I will pay someone to paint your truck. And so I did for one year. I sang in the choir. And then uh, Pastor, uh, after the year was up, uh, my dad painted the truck, uh, paid someone to paint it. And uh, and I told Pastor Toma, I said, you know, I'm, the Lord's leading me not to sing in the choir anymore. And uh, I mean, have you ever tried to make something spiritual when it wasn't, you know? So I told Pastor Tolman, you know, Lord wasn't leading me to sing in the choir anymore. And uh, he, he disagreed with that. Uh, two weeks, I didn't sing in the choir. And then I was back. And I realized that I actually loved singing and sing, sitting next to Gary Field and learning how to sing bass. But I loved that truck. And, and I remember one particular day I was driving down the road and, uh, and all of a sudden it was kind of a cloudy day. And all of a sudden um, I just ran straight into a wall of fog and uh, it was pretty dense and I couldn't see. You know, and I rolled down the windows, I had power windows, this old 79 truck, rolled down the windows, I couldn't see. And, uh, you know, some of us are like that. We're going through life, we're making decisions and we don't have clarity. What are you doing with your finances? What are, you, what are you doing with your children? What are you doing with your marriage? Are you lacking clarity? But what are you doing as an American? Right. What are you doing as a church member? What are you doing with your days? Do you have clarity? And God wants us to have clarity. And it's interesting to me as I look at this passage, the beginning of verse 10, he says, in verse 9, he says, love truth. Why? So that you may approve, that you may know things that are excellent. And as Paul writes to these, these believers in Philippi, he's thinking about them. He loves them. He wants their best. The Spirit of God is giving him these words for them. And he's saying to them, this is God's will for us. Love truth so that you will have clarity, so that you will know what is excellent, so that you'll know the difference between that which is right and wrong. So that you'll know the difference between that which is okay and that which is that was excellent. How many of you are going out to eat for lunch today? Some of you. Friday night, Cindy and I went to a restaurant that she enjoys. And uh, she always orders steak. I love hamburgers. Like an addiction type of a, a love for burgers. I do. I love hamburgers. In fact, I will choose hamburgers over steak most of the time. Um, but, but on Friday, when we were order, putting our order in, I did. I chose steak. Now, I like a Kogel hot dog quite a bit. I like a Kogel's hot dog. Will is not in the room. He's just turned 10. Will likes to grill, and he really thinks he's big stuff. And he likes to get out there, turn the grill on, and he gets the tongs out. And He gets to grill hot dogs for us when we have hot dogs. But he doesn't like them split. Now, I like my Kogel hot dog split, okay? 
It shouldn't be eaten any other way. In fact, I think if you read the package, it says split the hot dog. Okay, so it's important to to do to split the hot dog. But anyway, but Will looks at that and it looks like I've ruined it, right? So since Will's begun grilling hot dogs, none of them are split. Like they barely they're warm. They're they have heat, but they're. I have to remind myself these have already been cooked. Okay, I know they're already cooked, but a hot cocoa hot dog is good. A hamburger is much better, in my opinion. Okay, and I like all the toppings on my burger. I love cheese. In fact, I like jalapenos on my burger. Uh, some people make fun of how I say jalapeno. Anyway, but I like jalapenos on there, and I like lettuce, and I like onion and ketchup. I like I like mayonnaise. And you're saying, who cares? I don't care how you like your hamburger, fast person. But I like hamburgers. But better than a hamburger would even be a steak. And it was good on Friday. It was good. They got it right. It was perfect. It was beautiful. There was a little bit of fat along the edge, and they had they had grilled it to the point where that had kind of like gotten crispy. It was juicy. It was I like my medium. You know, you sh- if you push on it a little bit, you can tell right. A steak is better than a hamburger. It's, it's a whole lot better than a hot dog. The steak is the best. Um, I'll stop. You need clarity in your life if you're going to know the difference between that which is okay and that which is excellent. We need clarity in our lives to know the difference between that which is wrong and that which is right. And there are different decisions that each one of us face. We need clarity. The church at Philippi needed clarity. We need discernment. We need to be able to see clearly. Um. The Bible talks about in the last times, when perilous times come, how men will be lovers of themselves more than lovers of God. It talks about how we won't, there will be a great turning away from the truth. I don't know when the Lord is going to return. I don't know when the trumpet's going to sound. But God's will for you and for me is that we would love the truth that our love for the truth would abound more and more. Not less and less, but more and more. That we would pursue that accurate, precise knowledge of Scripture more and more. That we would seek and we would make sacrificial decisions in our lives to do what is right more and more, not less and less. Because if we will love the truth, he says, God says, that it will produce clarity. It will help us to know, he says, that which is excellent. Not just the difference between right and wrong, but the difference between that which is okay and that which is best. That which is best. So it gives clarity. Number two, a love for truth produces character. A love for truth produces character. Look at verse 10, the middle part. Verse 9, he says, love truth. Why? Verse 10, that ye may be sincere. Sincere. It's an interesting word. And without offense, another interesting statement, till the day of Christ. So we are going to stand before the Lord someday at the judgment seat of Christ, the place of reward. We are going to give an account for the words that we have spoken. We are going to give an account for the works that we did in this life. We are going to give an account for what kind of fathers we were and what kind of husbands we were and what kind of teenagers we were and how what kind of Christians we were and how we followed the Lord Jesus Christ and 
how we didn't follow the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not a place of judgment in the sense of uh, judgment for sin. We're in no danger of hell. No, only believers will stand there someday before the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a place of reward. It's a place of blessing. There will be tears that are shed because rewards will be lost, but there will be great rejoicing on that day. And the Bible says that Jesus Christ himself will praise you and me. That's an amazing statement in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Then shall every then shall have then shall every man have praise of God. But he's talking about the in-between period. We're not there yet. We're still living in this life. We need clarity. But now he's talking about character. Character is doing what is right. Character is what we often lack. Abraham Lincoln said, reputation is the shadow, character is the tree. Our character is more than just what we try to display for others to see about us. It's who we are when nobody else is watching. Good character is doing the right thing because it's the right thing to do. Not because other people applaud us. Not because we have to, but because it's who we are. And Paul, as he's writing to these believers that he loves so so dearly, uh, the Holy Spirit, as he's communicating these truths to our hearts this morning, he's telling us, Clarity is important for us, but also character is important for us. And wow, our world lacks character today. Character is lacked in the highest of places in our society. Politicians lack character. Business owners lack character. Employee Ease lack character. There's a lack of discipline. There's a lack of doing what is right because it's the right thing to do. And frankly, many of us in this room would say, Pastor, I lack character too in areas. I lack character too. Well, you know what gives character? You know what produces character? Loving truth. That's what produces character. Loving a precise knowledge of truth, an accurate knowledge of truth, and the implementation of that truth to my life and and falling along the way, but confessing it as sin and turning back to the word of God and turning back to the spirit of God and saying, Lord, would you accomplish this in my life and submitting myself to the instruction of the word of God, that produces character. That produces clarity. So now... Paul is talking to these believers and he's saying, I want you to know what is best for your lives, but I want you to have the character to do what is best. It's one thing to know what I need to do. It's another thing to have the character to do what I need, what I know I need to do, right? Are you lacking character? Do you love truth? He says, I want you to be sincere. You see it there in verse 10, that you may be sincere. That word sincere means to... It means without wax. That's what the word actually means, without wax. In, in Bible times, they would have people who were potters, and they would take a block of clay, and they would put it on the potter's wheel, and they would mold that piece of clay, and they would shape that piece of clay, and maybe they'd make it into a pot or a bowl or maybe a vase or maybe a pitcher, right? Different, different types of pottery. 
And then they would take that clay and they would put it inside of a kiln, like an oven, and they would fire that piece of clay and they would harden it and to make it usable. But if, if something was wrong with the clay, if something, maybe the potter had made a mistake, maybe it got too hot or it would be left in there too long, the clay, the, the, the vessel would develop a crack of some kind. And if the potter, and there were different kinds of potters in those days, if the potter lacked character, he would take wax like a candle and he would melt the wax and he would fill the crack and he would cover it up and he would sell it anyway. Now, maybe let's say you and I, you, you like to shop for deals and sales. You know, you're like the 50 percent off rack person. You know, you don't even see the rest of the story. You just go to one spot, you know, and let's say you end up there at the 50 percent off rack there in downtown Jerusalem. You're looking for something for your wife for her anniversary and she just loves pottery, you know, or needs something. And you go to that rack and you find it, it looks good on the outside. Take it home and you give it to her. She's so happy. She's so happy she's going to cook you your favorite lentil soup. And she pops it in the microwave, you know, or the oven, something like that. And, uh, and when the heat comes to bear on that insincere piece of pottery, the wax begins to melt. Maybe the, maybe the lentil soup begins to pour out, or maybe it breaks apart entirely because it's weak. And our lives are a lot like that. We're going through life and the pressures of life come to bear in our lives. And when we're not sincere believers, we start to come apart. And, 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 and we, we can fake it. But the Bible does not teach us to fake it until we make it. God wants us to be sincere. He wants us to be genuine. And Paul was concerned about the church at Philippi that they were genuine. Be genuine. Be sincere. But he's not saying just be the best you can be. He's saying love truth and let the truth of God's word transform you. It will give you clarity on matters that our world looks at you and they, and they think, they scratch their head and they think, how do you know that? How could you see that? It'll be because of your love for truth. They'll, they'll, they'll look at you and how you're parenting, and sometimes they'll totally disagree and maybe even hate you for how you do it. But then they'll look at your children, and maybe they'll hate you for how your children turn out too, but they'll look at you and they'll wonder, how did you succeed with your children in that way? How did you have wisdom? How did you know? And I'll tell you, as a parent, there are times where I scratch my head oftentimes and I seek God's face and say, Lord, please help me and give me wisdom because I don't know. Right. But it'll be because of a love for truth. A love for truth. Loving truth gives clarity. Loving truth gives character so that we will be sincere. So that as we go through this world and we go through this life and our own flesh is drawn away. Right. And the, and the pressures of this world and the, the worldliness, the God of this world is seeking about, is a roaring, walking about as a roaring lion, seeking we may devour. He's tempting and trying to draw us away. It's the love, is the person who loves truth, who has clarity and has character, who is sincere, who isn't just faking, but who is overcoming. He says, love truth so that you'll have clarity. Love truth so that you'll be sincere. 
Look at verse number 10 as he goes on. He says this, that ye may be sincere. And notice what he says. And without offense. What does he mean by that? Without offense. That means not leading into sin. That's what that means. Now he's talking to believers. He's talking to some men. He's talking to Lydia. He's talking to that little young damsel who's now older. who used to be possessed by an evil spirit. He's saying, I want you to love truth so that you won't lead others into sin. Have you ever led somebody else into sin? Maybe because you're overwhelmed with fear. Maybe you're overwhelmed with anxiety because you weren't trusting the Lord. Have you ever been there? I've been there. Maybe it's in sexual sin. Nobody here as a believer, as a child of God, would say, Pastor Seth, I want to lead people into sin. Nobody, nobody would say that, but every one of us have. There have been husbands who have led their wives into sin. There have been wives who have led their husbands into sin. And there are children who have led their parents into sin and parents who have led their children into sin. There are brothers and sisters in Christ who have led one another into sin. Okay, we know who we are. You say, Seth, you don't have to keep reminding us of that. But what he's telling us is if you'll love truth, you'll have clarity. You'll know what is right. You'll know what is best. And you will have character. You will have character. In other words, you will be sincere. You won't be a, a fake. You'll be sincere. Be genuine. A vessel that God is making unto honor. And sometimes God has to break us and remake us again. But he will make us into vessels of, unto honor. And you will be a believer who's not leading other believers into sin. Friends, in 2022, in this world in which we're living, now as much as ever before, God's people need to love the truth. We need to seek it. We need to value it. We need to pursue it. We need to desire it. We are at war. We are in a war, a spiritual battle. And our own flesh is pulling one way, and the Spirit of God is leading us this way, and He's saying, this is the way. Walk ye in it when you turn to the right hand and when you turn to the left. And we need to love truth. This is a decision that's not just made today. It's a decision that needs to be made tonight and tomorrow morning and tomorrow afternoon and tomorrow night. There needs to be husbands in this room who make a decision this morning. I'm going to love the truth, and I'm not going to stop loving the truth. The Apostle Paul, you remember I mentioned it in verse number 9 where he said, And this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. Remember that word pray, it has the idea of praying not just one time, but over and over and over and over again. There need to be some parents here this morning who say, you know what, I'm going to begin praying for my children that they would love the truth. Not just one time, but I'm going to keep praying for my children that they would love the truth. An accurate, precise knowledge of it. But not just for knowledge's sake, but to apply it, to make right choices for judgment, making judgment. Should I do this or should I do that? Should I go there or should I not go there? Love the truth. There's one last thought and I'll be done. Love for truth produces Christ-likeness. Christ-likeness. Now, at the end of verse number 10, he says, till the day of Christ. 
There is a day when that trump is going to sound, the Bible says, and that Jesus is going to descend from heaven and that the dead in Christ are going to rise first. And then we which are alive and remain are going to be caught up to, to be together with them in the clouds or in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord in the air. Sometime shortly after that, the Bible seems to indicate that we're all going to stand before the Lord at the judgment seat of Christ. That is, God's people are going to be standing before him and we're going to be rewarded. And I would ask you, are you ready? Have you done your best for Jesus? Are you doing your best for him? Paul told Timothy to war a good warfare as a pastor, as a young, young man, really, in his 40s. Or a good warfare. Not to run away from the battle. And some of us today need to say, I'm going to start, I'm going to get in the fight. I'm not just going to go with the flow of this world. I'm not just going to go with what my flesh is inclined to do. What if every one of us in this room just did whatever our flesh is inclined to do? I can tell you, we wouldn't have much of a church. It would be over. So what do we have in this room? We have a bunch of believers who have purposed in their heart that they know what they're, we all have wicked flesh. But we're, we're saying, I'm not just going along. I'm not just going to go along with it. And let today be a day of recommittal where we say, I'm not going to go along with it. I'm going to stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. God, by your help and your power, I am going to do what is right. And I'm not going to turn back. And I may fall over and over and over again and stumble. And I may bloody my knees trying to follow my Savior. But I am going to get back up as a just man falls seven times and rises up again. And I am going to follow my Lord and my Savior. I am going to stand for him. I'm going to be on his side. So what can we expect loving truth to produce? Well, clarity and character. In verse 11, he tells us we can expect a love for truth to produce Christ-likeness in us. Look at verse 11. He says, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. He says, if you will love truth, you will look like Christ. Other people will see you and they will see Jesus Christ and your heavenly father will be glorified. People will praise his name. Then to every single child of God in this room here this morning, when we hear that thought, our hearts yearn for that. They long for that. Our hearts are drawn out to that. We know that we fall. We know that we fail. We know that we cannot save ourselves from death and hell. And frankly, we know that we cannot make ourselves righteous. We can set standards. We can set goals. And yet we fall short. And yet he says in verse number 11, by Jesus Christ, we can be filled with the fruits of righteousness. And that by Jesus Christ, those fruits of righteousness are unto the praise and the glory of our Heavenly Father. You see, a love for truth results in a life that is filled with the fruits of righteousness. There's a dear lady who's not with us this morning, Nancy Lunny. Many of you know her. She's been a member at Trinity a long time. Often she'll sit right behind the water boss with her husband, Bob. And Nancy 
the doctors have told her, does not have long to live on this earth. She was here last Sunday. We don't know how long God will give her still. But I think of a lady like Nancy. I think of others of you that are in this room. And I think of many who I have seen the fruits of righteousness in their lives. I'm not saying perfect people. I I know none of us are. But I have seen Christ in many of you. I've seen Christ in people who have cancer. I've seen Christ in people whose spouses have been unfaithful to them. I've seen Christ in young children. I've seen Christ in young teenagers who, who, are, who are athletes and they're successful in athletics. And yet they choose to follow Christ and love truth more than themselves. And I've seen the fruits of righteousness in them. So I'm telling you, by the word of God, that is possible. And we ought not lose sight of that. And we ought to long for it. And we ought to desire it. The fruit of righteousness in Proverbs is called a tree of life. He says the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. And he that winneth souls and is wise. All fruits of righteousness are by Jesus Christ, according to verse number 11. The work of righteousness Righteousness, by the way, is simply doing what is right. That is righteousness. God is righteous. He always does what is right. You and I can be righteous. We can be righteous in our interaction with one another. In other words, we can do right by our interaction with one another. In Isaiah 32 and verse 17, this is an amazing verse. You might write it down and go back and look at it another time. Isaiah 32 and verse 17 says this, And the work of righteousness shall be peace. You say, I have no peace in my home. I have no peace in my marriage. I have no peace with my children. The work of righteousness, the work of doing right, is peace. We, have, we don't have peace in America because we don't have righteousness. There is not peace in the world because there is not righteousness in the world. If there's righteousness in the lives of a husband and a wife, there is peace. If there's righteousness in the lives of, of uh, a group of men, there is peace. It is when, is when there is unrighteousness that the peace is lost. The Bible says, only by pride cometh contention. So he says, and the work of righteousness shall be peace. And the effect of righteousness, the effect of doing right, he says, quietness and assurance forever. In Proverbs 3 and verse 18, the Bible says the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. It is impossible to have the fruits of righteousness without having righteousness. How's that for a redundant statement? But it's true. We want the fruits of righteousness without righteousness. And we're never going to have that. We have to choose We want the fruits of righteousness. And some of us would say, well, I have and I've tried. Then look to what the Bible says here in our text. Love truth. Love truth. The knowledge of it. The implementation of it. And God says he will do the rest. A love for truth produces clarity. A love for truth produces character. A love for truth produces Christ likeness. 
And I love how verse 11 ends because it tells us that a love for truth results in a life that brings glory and praise to God. Unto the glory and praise of God. We we sang, you sang beautifully this morning. Pastor Scott was working the mic all over the place, you know. You sang beautifully. I love when you sing. I love hearing God's people sing. I love it, I think, because I know you're, I know there's a struggle. I know there's a battle. But when you choose to push aside the flesh and die to self and lift your voice, whatever kind of voice you have, and sing praises to God and sing the truth, there is something glorious about that. Don't stop doing that. Well, I love when we seek to glorify and praise the Lord. We can do that when we're not gathered together singing. You can do that in your home. You can do that tonight in front of your computer. You can do that tomorrow when you're in your vehicle all by yourself. You can do that when you and your spouse aren't in agreement and you go ahead to go find, you grab the shifter to go to the other gear where you're going to win the argument, you know. Instead, you, you don't go to the other gear. Because you choose to follow Christ and you choose to do what is right. You choose to love truth. And God is glorified. And God is praised. See, so Paul, I just imagine him sitting there. Maybe he's chained under house arrest. His mind's thinking of the church at Philippi and the spirit of God begins to move through him. And these are the thoughts that he has. He's praying for them fervently and effectually. And he's saying, love, truth, church at Philippi. I can't come to you. I can't preach to you. I can't come visit you. I can't come counsel you, but he sends them this letter, which is the greatest thing he ever could have done. And his prayer for them was that they would love truth. And I love how the Bible in this passage tells us exactly why, because you'll have clarity and character and Christ likeness. So what do you love? What do you love? We all we all struggle with idols, don't we? Things that we love, things that we make sacrifices for so we can do, so we can go, so we can buy, so we can have, so we can experience. He says, love truth. What do you love? What are you sacrificing for? Proverbs 23 and verse 23 says this, buy the truth and sell it not. Jeff, you like to buy and sell. I like to buy. Cindy says, you've never sold anything. I don't think I have. Buy and sell. Truth is something you don't sell. Buy the truth. Keep buying it. And don't ever sell it. There's some stocks you buy and you need to sell them. Some vehicles you buy and you need to sell them. Some of you, maybe your yard, you bought the vehicle and it's still out back. You never sell them. You got your own boneyard out there, your own junkyard. You got stuff in your garage, right? You need to sell it. Stuff in the basement, you need to sell that. Give it away, do something. When it comes to the truth, buy the truth, Proverbs 23, 23, and sell it not. Also wisdom, instruction, and understanding. Jesus is that truth. This is the written word. Jesus is the living word. 
there's a, there's a marvelous oneness between the written word and the living word, the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you love him? Do you love his word? Are you seeking it? Are you buying it? Are you living by it? Buy the truth and sell it not. With every head bowed and every